Thanks to you, our listeners, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio is growing and is now available on more stations such as Facebook Video, Player.fm, iTunes, Verbal, and now on Amazon Audible. KRBN Internet News Talk Radio currently does not receive any funding to bring you these programs. However, we do ask that you hit that like button and tell your friends to help this station grow. And thank you again for your support. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Goldsevich. And now, here's Jay. As my producer is trying to crack me up as we come on the on the air. Because we are student-run radio, but at least we're coming on air on time today. And uh, you're listening to another edition of the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, Westland County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where we're having lovely weather this afternoon, even though it started off awful gray. But, you know, they're talking about a major weather shift here in the Pacific Northwest this weekend. It's actually going to start to be fall. In the fall, woohoo! But we're supposed to get somewhere around an inch to two inches of rain over the weekend, and uh, there are some concerns that some of those areas that burned a year ago could see some uh, debris flows, et cetera. So, and you know, every year people forget that when it stops raining here in May or June, like it did this year, and doesn't rain for multiple months. Cars have been moving up and down those roads, and you know, not every car is in perfect working order. In fact, even if they are, they still leak a little bit of petroleum product onto that roadway, and uh, those roads have got that petroleum product all over it right now, and that first rainfall lifts that petroleum product to the surface and makes them slicker than you-know-what. Um, <laughs> and uh, you really ought to drive pretty damn careful that first rain or two here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, you know, we're not like the East Coast where we get that, you know, one inch in an hour type rain that washes the streets off every once in a while. Um, this first little misty rain can be really dangerous on our roadways. And seeing our hospitals are full of COVID patients and uh, we've got, you know, worker shortages because of mandates and all that stuff, you probably don't want to be one of those people being run into a, a trauma center this weekend. Because who knows when you'll actually get, you know, uh, you know, really good uh, medical uh, service. So, you know, stay safe, folks. You know, it's not the time to be going to the hospital. You know, there, I heard a number the other day that Peace Health has 400 employees on on paid leave right now or unpaid leave due to their vaccine mandate they implemented. Um, so, you know, you wonder, you know, how, how easy it's going to be to get medical services. Uh, we're hearing all sorts of stories about postponed elective surgeries for stuff that doesn't sound very elective like the guy that was waiting for cancer surgery. That doesn't sound elective to me, but they were postponing his surgery because they didn't have the ability to guarantee him a hospital bed. 
So stay safe on those roads. Stay safe, you know, when you're out there this weekend doing all that stuff, you know, no honey hold my beer stuff, okay? <laughs> we need to we need to protect that that medical capacity. And speaking of that and COVID, that's something I'm going to want to talk about today. But we got a whole plethora of subjects from COVID to, you know, property tax relief for fire victims to, uh, you know, floodplains and and ponds being pulled out by the Bureau of Land Management uh, to the fact I'm going to go to jail next week. So, you know, we, we got all sorts of stuff to talk about, but we'll talk about what you want to talk about on the Bose Nose Show. All you have to do is call us at 646-721-9887. Just press one and that lets us know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. Speaking of things, I want to go back and touch on something we reported on last week. Uh, prior to the event, uh, we talked about the the 9-11 Memorial motorcycle ride leaving from Eugene. And my producer extraordinaire, Robin, actually participated in that event. And Robin, you want to spend a minute just to talk about how the event went and you know, how many people showed up? Actually, uh, Jay, it was quite impressive. Uh, we got some, and I'll put some pictures on our Caribbean Facebook page. There was an estimated uh, 200 riders that wow. went for the ride, and we we started over at the uh, uh, fire training facility off Garfield, Second Avenue. Went through Eugene, uh, through Walterville, up to Sweet Home, came back through Venita, and then returned back um, to the Eugene Training Center. We put in roughly about 150 miles, stopped at four fire stations, and at each fire station, they were out there with the uh, with their lights going and everything, and uh, then at the end of the ride, there was a short barbecue followed up by a 30-minute ceremony uh, with people speaking that were actually on duty at the time of the 9-11 attacks, and uh, it was very well done, very well received, and very proud of how many people. In fact, something that uh, I was really proud of is they had uh, four women there that sang the national anthem, and while they were rehearsing, everybody stopped eating, stood up, faced the flag, crossed, you know, saluted or put their hand on their heart, and sang along with them. Yeah, no, nobody kneeled, huh? Nobody kneeled. That one person kneeled. Pretty probably, amazing. Probably was a good thing because I don't think they'd walk out in one piece. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it sounds like it was a really great event. And I really wish I missed uh, your your notification that they were coming through Vanita, you know, because I wasn't paying attention to electronics that afternoon and uh, missed them coming through here because they practically went past my house. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, the, I would have let you know sooner, but they changed the route at the last minute. Yeah. Uh, initially, they were supposed to go up uh, through some small towns and and stop in Salem at one of the uh, uh, I forget the name of the center off the top of my head, but 
that got canceled because of COVID and they just didn't want to have uh, a lot of people there. So at the last minute, the uh, trying to look at the flyer, see what I, if I can find the name of it. But anyways, not the last minute they changed the route and it's kind of hard to communicate while riding a motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. Texting and driving is bad. Texting and driving on a motorcycle, not so smart. <laughs> but what's kind of cool though is that there's there's one road that was just perfect. I was, I was about in the middle of the crowd, in the middle of the line. But you, the lead the lead group was like four motorcycles with these huge flags on the back, and they're probably about two miles ahead of me, roughly. And when they came around a bend, it looked like a train. Mm. And just like I say, it was just so impressive. It's just unreal. Yeah, yeah, it's always pretty impressive. Too. So I've I've done mass um, bike rallies where they have mass starts with you know a couple hundred bicycles rolling through a town with police escorts stopping traffic, and those are really pretty impressive too. Just to see this huge group of cyclists and, and motorcycles, probably the same same sort of feeling. Um, yeah, so it sounds like a great event. I was really glad you got to do that. Um, really interesting, uh, you know, you know, with this, uh, news of the book that came out about, uh, President Trump's, you know, latter portion of his, his tenure in the White House and having the one general that was going to call, let China know if, if, if Trump was going to attack them, um, Versus, you know, General Schwarzenegger at the time of, of the night, you know, shortly after 9-11, uh, yeah. was asked about whether, you know, people that were involved in 9-11 could be forgiven or not. And he said that, you know, it's not my it, you know, job. That's God's job. And it's just it's my job to arrange that meeting. Got <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> kind of a difference in generals over 20 years. Uh isn't it the same general that uh, wanted to do research on how whites, or do I understand the white supremacy? I, I'm not sure if it's the same general, but still, it's just surprising how much um, some of our high-ranking military officers have changed in 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it it was great to to hear that we that so many people you know watching the news that evening and and reading the newspapers and everything else it's great to see the country pause and remember that day um and and that time saw so many stories from people about you know where they were and everything um you know people that got caught in airports um you know one story from a local reporter that I know pretty well here for the Fernridge Review and Tri-County Tribune, um, she was actually going to fly to D.C. that morning and was boarded onto a plane after the first tower was hit, and ta they taxied out to the end of the runway and sat there for a few minutes, and the passengers actually started getting upset and started unbuckling their seatbelts and saying they wanted to go back to the terminal. Yeah. Like, uh-uh, I ain't going. And uh, and eventually the, the pilot came on and said that all planes have been grounded and taxied back to the terminal. But can you imagine what that would have been like? And that was here in Eugene. 
you know, sitting on the ground in Eugene, and she was supposed to go back for um, a conference on um, geospatial uh, survey work and, and computer programming, et cetera. She was writing for a magazine that covered that uh, industry, and a lot of the folks that, you know, were involved in that ended up doing a lot of geospatial work in the search patterns of the, the, the debris and all that, and she continued to publish stories about that afterwards and all, but her, her personal story about, you know, being in that airplane, everybody kind of watching the news out and, you know, and then getting boarded onto the jet in, in stunned silence, um, and then getting taxied out there and suddenly realizing we really don't want to go on this trip. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of having a mat, you know, almost a, a mutiny of the passengers uh, on this plane. Yeah. People just, wow. You know, it's like, yeah. And then of course, you know, just list, you know, so many people posted the conversation between, um, uh, Oh God, I'm going to kill uh, having amnesia right now. Um, Let's roll. Um, Flight 93, um, Todd Beamer <laughs> got to me eventually. Uh, Todd Beamer and and the uh, the operator that he spoke to, and and that that entire conversation, you know, being posted on Facebook was just spooky. Um, yeah, and just you know, thinking about that day, just you know, always kind of raises goosebumps and you know makes you sad. And then, you know, just to, to watch, you know, as the Taliban celebrating taking back the country of Afghanistan and wondering, you know, are we safe, are we any safer um, today than we were um, on September 10th, um, 2001 is, is a question mark um, right now. Well, if I may, I'd like to throw in two things about the ride real quick. Sure. Uh, first one is during the ride, there was quite a large number of people that knew we were coming or standing standing there waving flags and you know honking and doing whatever. The downside is KZI showed up uh, while we were staging, getting ready. They were filming the group, interviewing several people um, with cameras. And the only thing that KZI did was put like a three-paragraph article on their on their website. Uh, they didn't, unless they did it live on TV because I don't have cable. They didn't play play the video to my knowledge. And the only thing that they did play uh, was that there was the antique car show, uh, also celebrating or the 9/11 event, and they went through. Uh, the Springfield Police Department, and that's what they filmed them through. Um, so, I mean, apples to oranges, but, you know, still, it would have been nice to have a little bit more coverage. Yeah, yeah. Well, we covered it here on the Bose Nose Show, both before and after. That's right. Yeah. So stay tuned for real news right yep. here, right now with our commissioner, and back to you, Jay. Yeah, if it's happening locally, we cover it. Like the BLM getting ready to close the Horton Pond. Um, in fact, I'm probably going to be on TV tonight because KVAL interviewed me about this. Um, I'm still not happy with the Bureau of Land Management. I truly believe they could have done more to look at a jurisdictional transfer to another agency. 
I understand that they only have one other dam that is in their portfolio of, of a couple hundred million acres of land they manage. They're not used to managing dams and reservoirs and ponds or whatever else. Army Corps of Engineers is. They're right here in the Lamette Valley doing the whole Lamette Valley project. That was, you know, an agency that might have been a good place to try and land that. Of course, that whole pond is now surrounded by Confederated tribes of the lower Unquan Saisaw Indians lands. They might have been willing to take it on. And, you know, our Congress folks are all talking about this big infrastructure package. What about us? You know, the cost to, to make that dam safe is only like a million bucks, which the BLM's too much. But when you're talking about a four trillion dollar infrastructure package, you think maybe Congressman DeFazio or Senator Wyden might have been able to kind of sneak a little bit out for the whole reservoir to try and, you know, keep that rural community whole um, with that one thing that draws people out there to Horton and keeps the Horton store uh, profitable and alive. Um, it's also a critical, you know, firefighting facility for forest fires to dip helicopters into. So all sorts of good reasons to keep it around, but BLM's taking the easy route, which is let's just pull the dam out and, and make it back into a creek and walk away from it. Um, and that's kind of, I, I, I really encourage people that the BLM folks are going to be out at Horton Pond tomorrow evening at four o'clock. That's tomorrow, Thursday, September 15th. If I've got my days straight, I'm trying to keep straight. Is that tomorrow is the 16th? No, tomorrow is the 16th. Sorry. September 16th, Thursday evening, four o'clock to seven o'clock. I think they're going to actually be out at Horton Pond. You can talk to them there. But I think you're talking to the wrong people now because the BLM folks are on track to remove that dam. And, and they, they made that decision during COVID. They started a NEPA process, which is supposed to have public involvement of, of, the, of this determining different alternatives and the, and the good pluses and minuses of them with alternatives that kept the dam in place. COVID came, they stopped the process, and then while it was stopped, they made the decision to remove all the alternates from the NEPA process that kept the dam and then restarted the process without them. Kind of sounds like they did that in closed doors without public involvement. And I think Congressman DeFazio, Senator Wyden, and Senator Merkley need to hear about that and need to hear from folks up there in Triangle Lake and Blatchley and Horton and everyone in Junction City and Vanita and, and even Eugene and Springfield that used to go up there as kids and fish or learn to swim up there or have camped up there, you know, or the local folks that work for the Oregon Department of Forestry that understand how critical that is as a firefighting facility. You guys need to be contacting our local congressional delegation and telling them to save Horton Pond. Holt Reservoir, it's called also, the Holt Dam. You know, it's the old Holt uh, timber mill up there is what, what the pond was for, was a log pond. So, you know, at this point, the BLM folks have already made a decision behind closed doors. The only thing they're looking at is removing the pond. 
just what they do with the area afterwards that they they have alternatives on, you know, <laughs> like that's somehow or another a public process. Um, so I encourage folks talk to your local congressional leaders about that. I want to get back to COVID a little bit because one of the things that's been going on and actually has been starting to make the news some because folks like um, Coos County have passed these sort of uh, declarations, Jefferson County has, uh, and a couple other counties, is that um, they're passing emergency declarations based on the anticipation of a workforce shortage as the governor and now it looks like um, President Biden enforce a vaccine mandate on public employees. And one of the things they're anticipating is there's going to be kind of a disproportionate impact to that. And, you know, this was even true in, you know, the folks at Peace Health that left. Physicians actually have a fairly high compliance rate of getting the vaccine. Where we actually saw less people vaccinated was nurses and some of the technical medical staff, you know, the assistants and the the x-ray technicians and stuff like that. So the people that left are mostly the people that you see. How often do you actually really see the physicians? (laughs) And what we're seeing in the public sector is something very similar with our health clinics, but the place we're seeing really low compliance you know, or at least, you know, we've predicted from survey work we've done and and just talking to people is in law enforcement. And, you know, at the county level, we run the jails for anyone that's committed a felony. (laughs) You know, we keep them in jail. Municipal jails can't keep felons. Uh, So our deputies that staff the jail, there's a good chance we could lose a portion of them. The other place we're seeing kind of a disproportionate number of, you know, a a larger population unwilling to vaccinate are line staff out in the field in our public works departments. The guys that fix your roads, um, keep your water and sewer running. If you're at the city, um, we don't have water and sewers counties, but in Lane County, it's the guys that run the bulldozers out at the landfill. And maybe, you know, weigh you in and weigh you out as you, as you dump and run the, the transfer sites and stuff like that. That particular population, you know, may have a fairly high resistance to getting the vaccine and be willing to quit or get fired over it, let alone possible, you know, labor strikes because it is a mandatory subject to bargaining. Um, but just thinking about that a little bit, it's kind of disproportionate, you know, where the population sits. If we have to shut down jail capacity, if we lose our ability to patrol the roads, isn't there kind of a health impact to that? We have to close down or limit the, our, our ability to use our landfill and our solid waste system. Isn't there a public health impact of that? 
I mean, we haven't made that declaration here in Lane County, but I'm really concerned that we are going to see a public health impact due to the disproportionate vaccination level and resistance to vaccination. Not to mention, I just don't think it's a good idea to mandate the vaccine to people because I don't think that convinces people to get vaccinated. In fact, it shows that we can't, you know, convince people with good information that we're going to have to require. It's like, does that, does that make people trust the vaccine more or less? So, you know, just get ready. Come September 18th, at least on some of the state worker side and some of the medical worker side, when the state mandate kind of goes into effect, you could see some real disruptions in public services. Um, you know, and on, on it just, it's going to be interesting to see how that's dealt with. And one of the, I'd like the governor to address is how is the state going to deal with that? I mean, they sent some National Guard folks to act as scabs at Peace Health, but none of them are doing any actual patient care. And they've lost patient care folks to the vaccine mandate. You know, our folks in public works that, that are the folks that repair your roads and, and run bulldozers at the landfill, those are pretty marketable skills in the private sector right now. I don't know about you, but anyone that's been trying to get a house built right now is having a hard time getting contractors because they're booked out so far and there's such a shortage of construction labor. Think some of the public work skills convert into the construction industry easily? You know, even with the threat from from the governor's administration that she's not going to allow folks that lose their jobs over the vac vaccine mandates uh, get unemployment, which I have a feeling is going to be challenged in court um, pretty quickly once there's somebody that has refused unemployment due to that factor, uh, that, then they'll have standing and you'll see a court case. But um, that whole you know, issue doesn't really count for some of these people, and especially some of these people that are mobile. You know, some of these healthcare workers that made pretty good, you know, pay, they may be much more mobile and be willing willing to go to a state that's that that's not doing the mandates. And I truly don't believe that the presidential mandate is going to stand up at all. And I, I believe that that is way beyond his powers as an executive order. You know, and and has some very clear um, court precedent around uh, the inability of a president to legislate and the court upholding that. Um, goes all the way back to Marbury versus Madison uh, and, and some of the, the powers that the court reserved itself to declare things unconstitutional. And I just have a feeling that the, the mandate um, against at least private employers, that, that portion is definitely going to be found unconstitutional um, sometime in the near future. So, but still, 
with mandates, there's going to be an issue. There's a certain amount of our population, whether you agree with them or not, you know, with the mandates, whether you agree with the folks that are vaccine resistant or not, the reality is if a mandate is enforced, we will lose people out of the workforce because they will not accept being forced to be vaccinated. And they won't go through, you know, it's not because of a religious exemption or, or strongly held religious belief. They won't use that out. They're willing to quit their jobs just because they don't trust the vaccine. Whether it's right or wrong that they don't trust the vaccine, there's still that portion that's going to do that. And the unfortunate thing is where it's going to hit us. And there's a secondary issue to how our population is disproportionately vaccinated that I don't think either the governor or our president has thought of. One of the things we keep hearing when we're trying to roll out the vaccines and help people get vaccinated was how some of our people of color weren't getting vaccinated and how we needed to outreach to them. And, you know, we were putting stuff out in Spanish language and trying to go to the communities where they were doing outreach through churches and all sorts of things, trying to increase the vaccination rate in these minority populations. And one of the reasons why there's resistance in those populations is they have this cultural history of their particular population, particularly when you talk about Blacks in America, of having been used for medical experimentation in the past by our government. Therefore, they have this distrust of government and medicine. So there is actually a higher proportion of Black people that are unvaccinated and probably a higher proportion that are willing to quit a job over a vaccine mandate. Now, does that sound like maybe it might be problematic in the courts if for some reason these mandates disproportionately impact a minority population? Can you say civil rights lawsuit? And these are the people that are supposedly championing all these, you know, how we have to work so hard to eliminate institutional racism. And they're completely forgetting the history of institutionalized racism in the medical field in this country. And why there's distrust in some of those populations in the medical field. But we're going to mandate vaccination of those populations. And I wonder, I haven't had a chance to directly ask somebody that that kind of is on that side of the the political aisle about this question um, yet, but I'm wondering what their response is going to be. How how do they feel about that? So um, I'll be fascinated to watch uh, some of this roll out, but it's a little bit scary for me in that I am concerned that we are actually going to create a public health crisis 
trying to solve a public health crisis and a public health crisis that's on the downside right now. I've looked at our Lane County epi curve, our state of Oregon epi curve, and our national epi curve from CDC. All of them have plateaued and started down or slightly from the delta peak of a couple weeks back as far as number of cases go. Hospitalizations have actually peaked also and have started on a slight downturn. What we're seeing right now is still an increase in deaths because cases are the leading indicator, hospitalizations lag cases, and deaths lag hospitalizations. So um, we're actually looking at possibly somewhat on the downside, yet we're going to throw in these mandates and force people to get a medical procedure. And yes, I know there are certain vaccines that are mandated for some of those working groups right now. If you work in a hospital, you have to get a hepatitis vaccine. For the, almost all the hospitals require that. Um, but you know that, that's something that's been around long enough. And usually, for the most part, most of the hospital workers knew about on taking their job and accepted as a condition of their employment. You know, this is something new, wasn't a condition of employment at the time most people took their jobs, and it's a change in condition of employment, which is one of my arguments against denying unemployment if somebody chooses to quit over this or be fired over it. So it will be... It will be fascinating to watch some of this roll out on the legal side. It'll be fascinating to watch some of it roll out on the sociological side of, of how health. I'm getting breaking up. She's breaking up, Jim. Our, our was having a problem for a second there. Sorry. But, you know, it's going to be fascinating to watch this because, you know, what an experiment we've thrown this country into for the last 18 months. You know, just as far as um, sociology goes, uh, psychology, um, it's just a a fascinating experiment we we put ourselves into. and, And we're continuing to experiment without really understanding, you know, what some of the the ramifications will be. But, you know, COVID's, you know, continuing to be that that big thing in the news. Um, And it's just fascinating that, um, you know, one of the things we, we found out was shortly after Biden's pronouncements and all that, they, they, they informed us the next day that, most of the rules hadn't been written. They really hadn't defined what 100 employees means. Is that like, is McDonald's, every McDonald's now have to, to have all their employees vaccinated because the total McDonald's organization of all franchises or is an individual franchisee that has less than 100 employees in their franchise exempt from the federal requirement? You know, they didn't have any of that written. And they still haven't written it yet. So it's fascinating that you come out with such a profound announcement and all that stuff and bang your hand on the on the podium and, and you're you're not ready to tell us 
who's actually under the proclamation. Um, and it just, you know, what a difference between President Biden's words about freedom versus President, I mean, not President, but Benjamin Franklin's words about freedom and, and security. Oh, come on, man. Yeah, I know. Come on, man. Uh, just it amazes me. And, and, and what's fascinating to me also just as a polit, you know, kind of a, a walk in of watching politics. The attempt there was to pull the spotlight away from Afghanistan. Him announcing that mandate and all that stuff and going, you know, having that that thing to try and get us back on, you know, focused in on COVID was all about pulling attention away from Afghanistan because he has just been murdered in the polls over Afghanistan. His job approval rating is plummeting like a rock. And, um, you know, it's like, oh, stop, don't look over there. Start, look over here. Look, I'm going to yell about this and I'm going to do something crazy, you know, that, that that's controversial. So everybody's going to start thinking about this and stop thinking about that because midterms are coming up and we want we don't want people remembering Afghanistan. We want them thinking about COVID. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it, was, uh, it was classic watching watching that political gyration on, on the national stage go on. But, you know, and I see. Robin's popped in here. She's dying to throw something in on this one. From what I understand now, now that you're giving a speech, aren't you supposed to kind of lean towards the microphone and whisper? Yeah. Whisper. Yeah. 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 Don't, don't get me. I'm, I'm not going to pick on our president. about things that I'll pick on him about his policies. I won't pick on him about personality stuff and all that. Uh, so just was interesting, but let's jump into some other subjects. And I'll also pause and remind folks, whatever you want to talk about again, 646-721-9887. Just press one. And you want to get in on the conversation here. Again, that's 646-721-9887. And press one so Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, knows you want to get on the conversation because we do have people that call in just to listen. Um, so there's a few other things going on in the world today besides BLM pulling dams out and uh, COVID. Uh, I, I, I want to just mention to folks that floodplains coming back to the Board of Commissioners. You know, speaking of ponds and dams and stuff like that. Um, You remember last winter, I made a pretty big deal about last fall and winter about floodplain and floodplain regulations that the board was considering and ultimately passed, much to my objections because I thought they were overreach and unnecessary. Well, lo and behold, staff is bringing amendments to those recent revisions back to us less than a year later because one whole section, which I criticized at that time and said should never be in there about compensatory storage, is going to be pulled from, from the floodplain ordinance. Can I say I told you so? I told you so, um, along with some other things. But this is an opportunity because this is 
the second reading and public hearing coming up on Tuesday afternoon at 1.30 at the Board of Commissioners meeting. For those folks that have been negatively impacted by the new rules that were put in place last year to ask for additional changes to be made at this time. You know, I feel one of the things that was not clearly spelled out was what, you know, we were going to allow structures in the floodplain to be replaced in the same footprint. We didn't define what footprint meant and whether there was any possibility to vary that slightly. And staff has been has taken a very strict interpretation of that. Um, and I think that's something that we probably could stand to define as board in policy and in our rules rather than staff's determination about that because there's no definition of footprint in our code. We ought to put a definition in there and maybe some ability to request a small variances from the original footprint because in this one particular case I'm aware of, the structure that was on this particular piece of property was an old 20 by 50 manufactured home and they don't make them in those dimensions anymore. They're all 24 feet wide now or 27 feet wide, but they don't make them 50 feet long anymore. They make them shorter. So 24 by 40 is a no because it doesn't fit exactly in the footprint of a 20 by 50, according to our staff. Something's not right with that. So if there's anything else that you didn't like in that floodplain ordinance, next Tuesday is your opportunity to give public testimony and ask the board to amend while we're amending the code to include the changes you want changed, rather than just doing the few things that staff is asking us to do. So this is an opportunity to fix some of the mistakes made last year. Fortunately, some of these provisions got waived under House Bill 2289, that was the bill that waived most planning stuff for um, fire victims. So at least, at least this bad, floodplain ordinance hasn't really truly impacted them, although it did for a while because it was effective last January and was in place for the fire victims uh, trying to rebuild for quite a while until the governor signed that bill in, in late May. So there was quite a while where it was causing quite some confusion for fire victims. Um, so fortunately, that bill kind of wiped out some of the provisions that were problematic for the fire victims, but didn't change the problems that are the things that are problematic for all the rest of the people in other areas of the county that are floodplain, like the folks off of CB Loop or some of the people on North Fork Road, or you know, I, I can think of you know a hundred other places around Lane County that have floodplain were impacted by this ordinance, poorly written poorly thought out and basically pushed by the anti-development environmental crowd and our progressive majority was not going to vote against them. So your opportunity, you know, if there is something you know about all you folks that are out there in the development industry, all you folks that have been trying to build a house and have been running up against the new ordinance, Now's your time to ask for changes. Tuesday, 
Wayne County public public hearing on our floodplain ordinance. So I wanted to make sure people were aware of that. And that, speaking of things coming up for the board, I get to go to jail next week. No, no, that it's not because I did something naughty. One of the interesting things, you know, as as when you get elected to be a county commissioner, sometimes you don't realize all of the roles county commissioners play. I mean, one of the ones that's been very public lately is we also act as the Board of Health. And dealing with COVID, we've, we've been meeting as the Board of Health to do that quite a bit. But, you know, one of the things we're required is to have a jail as a county. It's actually part of state law that, that, that um, sheriffs are required to have a jail and um, to provide security for the court. The, the the Lane County Circuit Court, which, by the way, even though it has the name Lane County, is not part of the county. It is a state-run function under the Oregon Judicial Department. That said, the county is required to put to provide a building for that court and to provide security through the sheriff's office. As part of providing a jail, one of the things the commissioners are required to do is annually inspect the jail and certify to um, the federal government and the state government that we're meeting certain minimum requirements in the jail. And next week is our annual jail inspection for the commissioners. So I get to go to jail and walk through all sorts of different parts of the jail and you know, go into the dormitories and, and you know, walk through the medical facilities and the intake facilities and everything, anything I wanna see, I can ask to see at the jail. So um, I get, you know, my annual inspection of the jail. Got to wear my N95 mask for the inspection because, you know, we've done a great job of preventing COVID outbreaks in our jail, um, which is one of the things that's really concerning about the mandating of vaccination for our jail personnel is even before vaccinations, they prevented COVID spread in our jail because of the seriousness they took this disease and the prevention strategies they implemented. So all these guys have been handling inmates and working with inmates and working around each other 18 months now, and we haven't had an outbreak in our jail. We haven't had an outbreak in our jail staff. You know, so pretty good record. But they're going to be required to get the vaccination. Meanwhile, the inmates these deputies deal with cannot be forcibly medicated for any reason because they have rights. So, you know, sometimes we get folks, you know, quite often from EPD, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily populate our jail. It's mostly populated by municipal, you know, police departments um, bringing folks in for booking. And quite often, some of these folks are mentally ill and unstable or high as a kite on drugs, doing weird things. And, you know, we can have somebody that's really mentally ill that's trying to injure themselves, like trying to run their head into a concrete block wall and smearing feces all over themselves in their cell or whatever else they're doing. We cannot forcibly tranquilize that person. 
because that person has rights. We're not allowed to inject them with a tranquilizer to keep them from harming themselves. But we're going to mandate the guys that have to deal with that person to get a vaccine they may not want or are, you know, unsure of its safety. There's something wrong with that picture that the inmate has a right to refuse medication, but the jailer can't. Just a thought as I'm thinking about doing my jail inspection. It's always kind of interesting to go into the jail though. Um, place I'd never want to go <laughs> involuntarily. And I'm not sure I could work there either because it's, you know, it's just a, an odd environment. You know, all those, because it's got to be something that can be washed down with bleach at any time for various reasons. Um, <laughs> that's why, yeah. One of the things you'll find is, is jail deputies don't don't lean against walls or you know in the in the uh, anywhere in the jail more or less uh, except for if they're in areas that are inaccessible by the inmates <laughs> just because <laughs> um, so it's it, it's an interesting uh, um, tour but it's really something where you know we we do a pretty amazing job of trying to take care of the inmates as people treat them well, treat them respectfully. Um, you know, it, because we do that, we have less violent actions in our jail. Um, and it's really, you know, we're trying to do good there and kind of get people stabilized and, you know, ready to defend themselves and whatever else uh, they're needed. But yeah, it's, just bizarre that we're going to ask the people that take care of people that have the right to refuse medication to be forcibly medicated. <laughs> okay. How do I keep coming back to COVID? Everything comes back to COVID. Yes, because it's just, you know, after a year and a half, oh my gosh, is anyone else out there just tired? <laughs> I mean, just simply exhausted by the pandemic. And, and can I ask another simple question? When did a pandemic become an endemic? I mean, we consider a lot of diseases, human disease, to be endemic to the human population. The common cold, influenza can have outbreaks that can seem like pandemic, but, um, you know, at what point does COVID become an endemic disease that we just know we're going to have to deal with for the rest of, you know, now that it's, you know, the genie's out of the bottle, or should I say that the virus is out of the lab? <laughs> um, you know, we're going to have to deal with this from now on in human society. There's going to be a coronavirus a SARS-CoV-2 virus that's going to have various, you know, variants that are going to be showing up, just like we have H1N1 and H1N2 and, you know, H3N2 and whatever else of the variants of the flu virus. Um, we're going to have 
the delta and the lambda and the mu and whatever else. And speaking, you know, this gets to another thing. They started naming the variants instead of by the country the variant first showed up in. And this gets back to the avoidance of calling it the China virus because they didn't want to stigmatize a particular country or people from that country because they thought it, you know, was was xenophobic and racist or whatever else to call the Delta variant, the Indian variant, or the Alpha variant, the UK variant, you know, and and some of the other variants. And the Mu variant is now, you know, coming out of of, uh, Chile and Bolivia. Uh, You you can't call it the Chile variant. Um, But it's okay to use the Greek alphabet to name these things. What about the poor Greek people? Who's thinking of them? Sorry, tangent, taken off, well underway. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, things that come to my, uh, uh, speaking of just COVID fatigue, that's the kind of stuff that comes to you in the shower <laughs> after working out this morning. As you're thinking about Delta and Mu and Lambda and Alpha, and, you know, it's like, they're going to, you know, get on up through, you know, Epsilon to all the way out to Omicron. It's like, oh, my gosh, what about the Greek people? Don't they get some kind of, you know, say in, in the naming of these variants? <laughs> Do they have to be Greek letters? Oh, uh, yeah. Kind of like, you know, we now name hurricanes male names because we didn't want to stigmatize women by naming all the hurricanes after women. Uh, and Robin dying to get in on this one. Aren't you glad they're not naming them after planets? Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Probably had me on that one. Yeah, yeah. They have some trouble as they work their way out the solar system. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Good thing we only have five minutes of airtime left. Which, if you want to break up this tangent and call in and, and take me off on another one, 646-721-9887. Just press 1 so we know you want to talk. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1. Oh, we crack ourselves up. <laughs> but it, it's so true. I think there is this huge pent-up fatigue in our society right now over COVID. And it's kind of getting to the point of when are we going to accept that there's going to be COVID in our society from now on? And that just like the flu, you're going to have to get an annual vaccine probably to prevent whatever common, you know, whatever variants are going around at the time to boost, to reboost your your antibodies because they don't, you know, the with this particular um, virus and all that stuff, you don't, it's not a one-time shot, you know. Just like you have to get a tetanus booster every once in a while, you know, you, you're going to have to get boosters for coronavirus, just like you have to get an annual shot for the flu because different, different strains are, are, you know, they're trying to guess which ones are popular from year to year. Um, that's really, uh, you know, what's going on. So, um, 
sorry, I'm trying to answer a question at the same time from the wife. Uh, apparently, we're having internet problems down at the studio, which means it's probably our, our, our network, because I'm doing fine right now from here. Um, what people don't realize is we have another building on our property that my wife operates a business out of, and we're all linked together through one network, and she's having internet problems down there. So who knows what's going on down there? Hopefully it's something minor. Um, so it's kind of like, when are we going to transition from pandemic to endemic? and get to, you know, where things are going, we start to deal with this is going to be normal. There's going to be a certain amount of this disease in our society. Yes, it's, it's, you know, it's more deadly than the flu, but yeah, it's going to be around. I mean, there are certain diseases that are just endemic out there that we, we just have to deal with regularly, and we do, we're just going to have to start doing what we can to prevent them. I mean, you know, we all understand what causes Lyme's disease, but people still get Lyme's disease. We don't really have a shot for it or anything else. The only thing you can really do is, is if you do get it, catch it early enough that you can actually deal with it so you don't get the long-term uh, Lyme's disease issues. You know, there are just certain things that are out there um, that we just know we have in society. So when is that transition? When do we get to take people down a notch on their anxiety levels? I mean, what we're doing psychologically to ourselves, and it's so well proven in medical science that stress destroys your immune system. And as we continually hyper, you know, go hyper about COVID, are we creating more stress to people's immune systems? Actually, exact pandemic and the, and the endemic versus trying to deal with it as it's now stop rationally deal with not try and make people anxious and fearful and 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 move on you know and let people stress levels drop a little bit so we're not talking about silly things about how they name the variants. <laughs> And going off on tangents because we're just so fed up. So I just, you know, want to say, you know, think about that a little bit. Think about, you know, what your medical freedoms mean and uh, have a good week. Let your stress levels drop a little bit. And thank you for listening because we'll be back next week with another edition of the Bose Nose Show at the same time. Same bat channel here on Caribbean Internet News Talk Radio, coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Have a great week.